beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, letters and cards, they often indicate uh, who we are writing to. You could think of the last time you wrote a letter or maybe made a, a card for your mom or your dad, your brother or your sister, and you wrote to or dear so-and-so, and then you wrote a greeting, how's it going? A message, maybe happy birthday, or just wanted to let you know I'm moving to Edmonton. And then at the end of the letter, you have a little farewell, God bless, or you say, and then finally you say who the letter is from at the very bottom. Sometimes your mom writes the from, and you write your own name right on the card. There's a style that comes with writing letters and writing cards. And in Paul's day, they had the same thing. They had the same rules about writing letters. The order was actually a little different though. Usually they first of all stated who it came from, from Mary. Then it mentioned to whom it was written, dear John. And then it would get to the formal greeting, hello. I don't know about you, but although I read and take note of these formal parts of a written letter, I don't spend a lot of time doing exegesis on the greeting because ordinarily greetings are not written with edification and instruction in mind. But what if your birthday card, instead of just the regular words, it inserted all sorts of extra information in between the regular words of the greeting formula? What if your birthday card said, Dear so-and-so, who is so helpful to others in the church, happy, peaceful, liberated, and free birthday, which is only by God's grace to you in this time of war. And then at the end, from the extremely grateful man you saved from a very fiery ordeal, Julius, whose eyesight is coming back. I think you would pay more attention to that greeting, wouldn't you? And Paul's greeting was like that, that longer version that draws our attention to the larger message behind the normal forms. And then when you realize that Paul is doing this, but he's also an inspired apostle, then you realize that these words of greeting are also the, the God-breathed words of God for his servants, for his churches then I'm positive that you would agree with me that it's important to pay close attention to the greeting, to the salutation. And today we will begin this look at 1 Timothy by looking at the greeting and the salutation in Paul's first letter to Timothy. And from it, we will quickly be able to see the context of the letter and the major theme behind its contents. And I preach to you gospel under the following theme, God governs his church through the men he appoints. We'll see that he commanded Paul to be an apostle. He continued the faith through Timothy and he comes beside the church with his blessing. So the first word of the letter in our hand is the word Paul. Paul indicates from the outset that he is the author of the letter, but he doesn't specify exactly when he wrote it and to do, understand that we have to study the book of Acts. Once Paul became a Christian, 
Read about that around Acts 9. Then he was sent out from Antioch to go preach uh, the gospel to the Gentiles. You can read about that in probably Acts 13 at the beginning. And he made three missionary journeys. Studying these journeys, we learn that he preached the gospel in a town called Derby on the first missionary journey. And then when he returned to Derby, and that's what we read about in Acts 16 on his second missionary journey, then he met Timothy, a disciple, whom he took along to accompany him for the rest of the journey. Then on Paul's third missionary journey, we read that he spent three years in Ephesus. You could read about that in Acts 19, verse 8 and 10, and then also in Acts 20. And that was the church that Timothy was serving in when he received this first letter from Paul. It's clear from that passage we read in Acts chapter 20 that Paul was well respected by the elders in Ephesus at that time. They came out to meet him on the beach and his memorable message to the Ephesian elders uh, highlights that he had an intimate knowledge of all that was happening in the church at Ephesus. You get a sense of a very well-established church. Shortly after this meeting on the beach, Paul was imprisoned. And from prison, he wrote a letter that our Bible lists as the book of Ephesians, a beautiful explanation of the riches of our faith in Jesus Christ. Since in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul mentions sending a man named Tychicus to the church in Ephesus. It's most likely that Timothy only went to Ephesus later, quite late in Paul's life, and it seems that it was at a time when things were starting to go downhill. And then Paul wrote this letter quite late in his life, either from prison in Rome or after he had been released again uh, from this prison. So that's Paul. Paul's interaction, and we see that the first thing he wants to state, this is an important theme of of his instruction, is that he's an apostle, an apostle of Christ Jesus. This suggests that questions had arisen in Ephesus about his authority, just as Paul had warned in Acts 20, and if you have that in front of you, you can read along, it's verses 29 to 31. Already ahead of time, Paul knew that something would go wrong, and he writes, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And Paul further emphasizes that he is an apostle of Christ. And then we read that in 1 Timothy 1 verse 1. By command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our Lord. Imagine someone walking and saying, I am an apostle by command of God the Father and Christ Jesus our hope. 1 Timothy shows us as we read that letter, the whole letter, you'll see that there's problems in Ephesus, the well-established church. Well, the problems were coming from the leaders. 
who were challenging the apostles' authority. And Paul reminds Timothy about his own apostolic authority that God himself and the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ who spoke to Paul commanded him to talk to the church, to lead the church. In the passage we read in Ephesians 3, verse 7 to 13, he says that he was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, though he recognized that he was the least of all the saints. It was not something that Paul asked for. He was a mere instrument of the triune God who set him apart before he was born and revealed his son to him in order that he might preach among the Gentiles. You can read about that in Galatians 1, verses 15 to 16. Paul's letter to Timothy is a result of God's eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then we realize how much we have to pay attention to this little word, Paul, an apostle by the command of God. Why does Paul tell us this? Why does the Holy Spirit want us to know? And then we realize, once again, this is not just an ordinary letter between colleagues and the minister, but every word of this letter was written because of the express command of God who was caring for his church. This is how God decided to care for his church. He took the least of all the saints. He, he took the chief of sinners and he appointed him to command certain men to behave in certain ways. It shows us that, that it's God's will to govern his church through men. But these men are mere servants of the Almighty God. And that's important for us today as members of the church because it shows us how the church of Jesus Christ should look when God himself is caring for her. Although Jesus fulfills all the offices of the Old Testament and the one office of Messiah is revealed in the title Christ, he has gone into heaven and now he cares for his church through the men that he appointed to this task. Now for some reason, and, and if we look at Paul's life and we think about what it means to be a, a human being, we can think of many reasons. Lots, there were lots of churches that needed care. It was a time of persecution, prison. Paul was getting older. It was difficult to travel. But for some reason, Paul is unable to be there himself. So his authority as an apostle is brought to the situation of the church in Ephesus by means of this letter. In this letter, we see the, the channeling of, of God's command and Christ's will through his apostle as it comes to the church to Timothy, the man God ordained to be in Ephesus in this difficult time. God is continuing the faith through Timothy. He, Paul writes that in this verse 2. He says he's writing the letter to a man named Timothy. Now if you look through the New Testament, you do a concordance search, you can find the name Timothy many, many times in the book of Acts and in the letters that Paul writes to the different churches. Timothy was from the city of Derbe, had a Jewish mother who was a believer and a Greek father, he was instructed in the faith since his infancy, both from his mother and his grandmother. 
He is one of the most well-known second-generation believers, followers of Christ in the New Testament, and God blessed him with many gifts. Acts 16 confirms that he was well spoken of by the brothers, even in the neighboring cities. You could think about that a little bit, not just in Derby, but in Lystra and in Iconium. What does it take for a man to be well spoken of even in neighboring cities? And whether it was because prophecies were made about him, like you can read in 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, or not, Paul enlisted him as a missionary right then and there. The time of second, Paul's second missionary journey, Paul, or Timothy probably spent some time with Paul in Macedonia, one area. But it didn't take long, and Paul left Timothy with Silas, and they were there instructing new converts in Berea. You can read about that in Acts 17, verse 14. God reveals the, the type of useful servant in the kingdom when he reveals to us that Timothy was a man to be trusted. And look at Acts 18, verse 5. He was together with Paul again in Corinth, and Paul sent him to Thessalonica. And there he read, to establish the church there in their faith and to exhort them to remain unshaken by the afflictions that come with being a follower of Jesus Christ. That's in 1 Thessalonians 3. So, so Timothy was sent to a church to establish the church, to exhort them to remain unshaken. They were in afflictions and, and suffering. And then Timothy's portfolio grows even larger during Paul's third missionary journey when he was sent from Ephesus to the church in Corinth where he was to remind this church that was full of controversies and sinfulness of who Paul was in Christ and what he taught everywhere and in every church. Timothy would be again sent into that volatile situation in Corinth and it's no surprise that Timothy is mentioned as a co-author of the letter 2 Corinthians. We read from the letter to the Philippians that Timothy spent time with Paul in prison and that Paul was planning to send him also to Philippi. Hebrews 13 verse 23 informs us that Timothy also spent time in prison because of his faith. And so put that all together. And you see a missionary who spent time in Berea, in Thessalonica, in Corinth, in Philippi, in prison. And now we see in Ephesus. He served to give assistance to the established and establishing churches in very difficult situations. So when, I, when we read the word child, we see that the word child is not necessarily speaking in the first place of his age. He was a man who was supporting Paul in difficult times. He had skills. He was very equipped. He, was, he faithfully upheld and taught and applied the apostolic faith. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 20 that he proved his worth by his genuine concern for the welfare of God's people. And now we see the contrast being established too between the leaders that God wants who, who love God's people and the leaders who just want to be leaders. 
And so Timothy was a child probably because, yes, he was younger than Paul and he was a disciple of Paul. But really our focus should be my true child in the faith. He was the representative who would continue the faith after the apostles. The apostles were sent out by the direct command of God. Timothy and the other evangelists were sent out by the churches, by the to the churches by the command of the apostles to bring the faith to those churches. Timothy came alongside churches that had been planted by Paul to water them, to coach them, to ensure them of the, that the teaching of the apostles was upheld and taught. That body of teaching, the faith, is so important to understand it was so important in the days of, of Ephesus and the Ephesians and Timothy, and it is so important today. We need to be children in the faith. The continuation of the faith is the focus. That's how God is continuing to care for his church after the apostles. He wants children in the faith who repeat the faith both to new converts, but also to established churches like the one in Ephesus. And then we see how doctrine, the faith, teaching, and a careful study of the apostles' words and life is so important for everyone who wants to be a true child of the apostles, the apostolic church. And the greeting to Paul's first letter to Timothy contains a description then of what the church in our risen Lord Jesus Christ looks like. It is the apostolic faith handed down through the generations, those who repeat the true faith over and over in the different situations. It's God's will that we also pay close attention to the apostolic faith that was handed over from one generation to the next. And our Lord Jesus Christ comes beside his church with his blessing. Paul has identified himself. He has explained to whom he is writing the letter. And then he moves to the part of the greeting where we often would say something like greetings or good afternoon or salutations or hello. In almost all cases, this part of a letter expresses the level of our relationship and in some cultures, it's also appropriate to convey a, a wish for good things for the other person or, or a blessing. This part where Paul says grace, mercy, and peace is that part of the, the greeting that it's expressing attention and kindness, a desire that the relationship can continue. It's no wonder that even today Christians mention their common faith in Christ when they greet one another formally, we write in Christ or your brother or we, we make associations to our faith. Well, Paul's greeting blessing at the beginning of his letter to Timothy is not just a thoughtless hello, but once again, it's the inspired word of God. He's declaring an undeniable truth. Paul's not just wishing something nice for Timothy, but as an apostle by the command of Christ, he is declaring, he is applying the work of Jesus Christ to Timothy. 
You see, after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he was pointing to his hands where the nails had been and to his side where the spear had gone in. And he declared to those who believed in him, he breathed on them, he said, peace be with you. John 20 verse 21 goes on to say that he sent them out with the authority of the Holy Spirit to bring that peace to the world through the forgiveness in his blood. And we see then, brothers and sisters, that that greeting that applies Christ's work to God's people is given in obedience to the command of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Through his apostles, the Lord gives his blessing as we read it in 1 Timothy 1 verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace, which in Greek is the word charis, is a one-word declaration that although we have not done a single thing that would make us undeserving, that would make us deserving of his favor or salvation, God has nevertheless done something for us and in our place. Christ yells and declares to you grace. It's the theme of our life. There is no sin or sin that we hate that cannot hinder us from spending eternity in the presence of God. Every time we gather, we hear that word grace and we hear the word mercy. It describes how God looks at us. It's related to his loving kindness. Our covenant father is merciful. He hears us in our distress. He, he reaches down to us when we are in need. We experience mercy when we see the, the hand of God come close to us as his Holy Spirit guides us through the scriptures. Our good shepherd holds us in his arms and, and leads us to green pastures through the office bearers and God's covenant people surround us with their love. You see that in the work of the deacons and in the communion of saints. So there's grace and there's mercy and there's peace. A word that describes that good relationship between God Almighty and his majestic glory and his children since we have been reconciled to him through Christ graciously shed his blood for us on the cross who removed our guilt and our debt before the Father. Peace is a reality that we experience when the fear of judgment is completely gone. The perfect work of our Savior fills our hearts and minds rather than our own sinfulness. Because of Christ, Paul can say to Timothy, grace, mercy, peace. And you may recognize these words from the blessing that is given to the congregation at the beginning of the worship services. But now that you see it in context here, you may wonder if it is appropriate for us to use that blessing. How can we use words that Paul spoke to his servant, his, his co colleague, Timothy, and how can we apply that to our lives? Wouldn't that be like eavesdropping in a conversation in the foyer between a man and, and, or a husband and a wife, and then going home thinking that man or that woman said, I love you, to you? 
And if we lose sight of, of the big picture of God's work, this is God's word. When we, see, when we miss that, that work of God behind the apostles' words, we may think so. But when we recognize that God commanded his apostles to speak to his children in the faith, and then we can understand that the blessing is to everyone who is in the faith, who holds to the truth. And the whole point of the greeting and the letter is that God wants to see the truth of the gospel passed on from generation to generation. That declaration of the gospel and the blessing is for all who believe in Jesus Christ. And Paul even confirms this for at the very end of his letter, he does say again, grace be with you, and he uses a plural you. In this context, then we understand that it is good and it is legitimate when those whom God appointed to govern his church repeat the blessing that the Holy Spirit declares through his Apostle Paul to Timothy. It's the big picture. And the right to declare this blessing authoritatively is given to the office bearers. Everywhere that men are ordained as children in the faith to apply God's word to the lives of Christ's church, they may bring that authoritative blessing. They may repeat that blessing of our risen Lord, whom they are representing. It's not surprising then that in many Reformed churches in the world, there, the practice is that also the elders of a local church give the apostolic blessing just as fully and correctly as the minister does when he raises his hands at the beginning and at the end of the worship services. Christ is with us. He reveals his presence, his real presence in our lives through words, through the truth, through the men he appoints to govern us in his blessing of grace, mercy, and peace. We hear it, but we feel it, we see it. In a context of church planting and church growth, God commands men to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, when the churches are established and being and, and, and appointing their own leaders to lead Christ's church in this faith, the repetition of that truth is the center. The formal parts of the introduction to the letter are a description of the stages of mission. And they prepare us for a letter that will emphasize the rule and the governance of his local church through men that he commands, that he ordains to apply the work of Jesus Christ to those whom he has called out of this world. May our faithful God and Father bless this church here in Edmonton with leaders who eagerly desire to faithfully continue the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints so that we can spend each day in the grace, the mercy, and the peace of our God. Amen.